my connection with the tarot was much more in this, like, I am putting these powerful symbols on my body. I just totally think of every single one of my tattoos as like an expression of my magical powers. I am an empowerment coach. I am here to empower you to create the life that you want to live. into this episode today. I have been interviewing the priestesses in a collection of interviews called the Priestess Interviews. And I have a couple different collections of interviews that I'm going to be offering you. The next interview is going to be coming from a set of interviews called Who Are the Magi? And the Magi are the magicians. And many of us fall into this category. So something I've been talking a lot about lately is the fact that this time that we are in right now is being called the Great Awakening. And the reason I like to talk about it is because we are all awakening to our past life experiences and all the different forms of study and knowledge and wisdom that we have inside of us from our many different experiences. So maybe you were a priestess in one life and maybe you were a witch and those were two different things to you in a different life. And maybe you were a magician in another life and maybe you were a yogi in another life. And all of a sudden here in this life, you are remembering different pieces of all of that. And so you are using different pieces of your wisdom or you're using all of your wisdom at the same time. And I feel like it's very appropriate for now. There is a reason why we are all remembering all of it. But just as that is all true, we still identify in different ways. And so I am excited to introduce you to a woman that does not identify as a priestess, and she does not identify as a witch, but she identifies with being a magician. This is a woman who has been so inspirational in my own journey for really getting my shit together in the form of getting my business together and making my life about the knowledge that comes through me and the information that I already know is my responsibility to share. A few years ago, I was experiencing a really intense period of shutdown and writer's block. I was really miserable at the slave job where I was working that was draining my life force energy, and I just went looking for inspiration. I had been doing so much traveling, going over to England and spending a ton of time over there. And even though what I had expected when I went there was to really connect with my witchy past life and 
I've been working with the moon for many years. And when I went over to England, the funny thing is that I could never see the moon. There was, there was so much cloud cover always in the sky that I never could see her. I do remember seeing her on, on one year uh, where there was a really significant eclipse that was happening and I was all the way at the top of the tour and it was when the Venus retrograde was, or the Venus return was happening. Anyway, that's the only time that I can remember seeing the moon over there. So what ended up happening is that I actually got really disconnected from my practice it's also quite an experience to be in a different country, be in a different time zone, be in a different location in reference to the sun and the equator. And it was incredible experience, but also just threw me way off track for everything else that I was doing in my life. And I had always performed shows at the full moon, and I had even gotten into doing shows at the new moon and the full moon. And offering ritual as well as doing ritual myself. And so anyway, here I am over in England in Avalon thinking I'm going to have this incredibly mystical, witchy experience. I mean, I had just ended up getting in a crazy relationship and went off in a totally different direction. But all, I'm saying all of that because at the end of that, when I ended, when I ended up back in Los Angeles, I just had been through the ringer emotionally and a lot of disappointing things had happened. I was really trying to do some things with my music over there and I had problems with my visa. And anyway, it's a long story, but it ended me up in a serious place of just writer's block and lack of inspiration and being at the slave job and all of those things I said. So I went looking for inspiration. So I signed up for this class that I thought, you know, not that it was just going to be so beneath me, but just with all of my years of study already, I just thought it was going to be really simple, but I just felt really drawn to go anyway. So here I am in the developing intuition class, and the woman who is teaching it, her name is Naha Armadi. And as soon as this woman started talking... I knew, I, I, I was just like, oh, wow, I had no idea that this is what I was going to find, just the amazing amount of inf information and wisdom and teachings that was coming out of this woman's mouth. It was like a two-hour class, and I was scribbling information down in my book the entire time, and I believe it was like an eight or 12 week series and it was packed full of information and it was so exciting and it was so inspiring and it totally woke me up. I ended up taking every single class that this woman offered. She teaches classes on crystals and tarot cards and she teaches the Kabbalah and what was amazing about studying with her was she tied together everything I had been studying and maybe for the past 20 years, my meditation classes, my yoga classes, studying, studying Kabbalah from a rabbi, studying tarot. So I am so excited to have her on the show to interview her. She has a new book that just came out and I'll let her tell you about it in the interview. But it is my honor and my privilege to interview Naha Armadi for the show. I hope you enjoy her as much as I do, and here is our interview. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Welcome to another episode of Silver Lake Priestess, and I'm Jamie Black. And I'm so excited to be here with Naha, one of my teachers and super inspiring, magical lady. Thank you for coming. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Yes. I'm actually really honored that you would have me. I know that you have just been uh, getting this started, so it means a lot to me that you would you would bring me on here. So thank you. Of course. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about sacred purpose and helping women discover what their sacred purpose is and set businesses up around it. And mm-hmm. as long as I've known you, you've been serving your sacred purpose. And uh, that's really inspiring to me. I know that was uh, so inspiring to so many of us that were studying underneath you. And so um, I'm having you here because of that. And mm-hmm. also I, I share you so much with the women in my life. And so now I get to share you in a bigger way. Yay. And, yeah. <laughs> so um, how I met Naha is uh, I, was at a, I was in a point of my life where I was really blocked. I was having writer's block and I was at a standstill with my music career and I wasn't writing and I was really frustrated this was like how long ago? I mean, it's been years, so... I was just thinking about that. I think It's either 2014 or 2015. Oh, my goodness. Is when I ended up in your developing intuition class. Uh-huh. So I just knew that something needed to change. And I hadn't really been on my magical studies for a while. I had been touring my music and really focusing on recording. And anyway, I was looking for classes. And I was taking classes everywhere and um, not really having any luck finding any good ones. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it advertised someplace that there was a developing intuition class that was starting, and I believe it was like January 1st. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, I did kind of have the feeling that this was probably going to be like too basic Mm -hmm. for me to take just because I had studied for so many years in my life previous. Yeah. And uh, I just, but just something called me to take the class. And anyway, it was definitely not too basic for me. <laughs> um, it was, anyway, it was everything that I was looking for and more. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway. Uh, it's I, funny, so many people have told me that. They're like, well, I don't know. I feel like I maybe already kind of have a, I didn't really expect it to be this total onslaught of information yeah. and exercises that it was they're like I thought it was just gonna be kind of like a lighter version of that like no you're gonna sign up for anything with me be prepared for it to be broad deep and wide yeah it was a two-hour class and it was just like it was just coming at me for like two hours <laughs> and it was great it was everything that I needed it was because I had also I had taken some other classes at some other places in LA previous to that and it was like the woman was recording herself she was stretching out her words really long to take up a really long period of time with like mm-hmm. not even saying anything so then getting in your class was just like a complete complete opposite and it was everything that I was looking for so I took your developing intuition class Mm -hmm. and then I went right into taking crystals. I took Mm -hmm. every single one of your crystal grids that you offered. Mm -hmm. Then I got into your tarot and then... Which the tarot is the real, I think, the real 
I mean, I, I feel like it's the most practical of everything. Like, I feel like it's the real meat and potatoes. Maybe it's because it's my biggest passion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's uh, the tarot is such a mirror to the self that I feel like you can really, you can take developing intuition, you can work with stones, and you can understand more about the earth around you and in relationships around you and on working with energy. But the tarot is going to take you right down the well of your own soul you know it's just really tarot doesn't pull any punches it just says it like it is there's no um there's there's no uh sugar coating things with the tarot it's just the I feel that in any sort of tool and magic it's just the most real you know yeah I had studied tarot for many years before taking mm-hmm. your class. Were you already doing readings at that um, Not, yes. I had done yeah. readings for people forever, but my way of doing readings was here's all the books uh-huh. and here's all the different decks uh-huh. and we're hanging out and I'm going to read you from the book, like the complete definition. And right. then at the end of all of it, then I'm going to help you understand hmm. what it meant. So I was still accessing my, my intuition, but... I wasn't trusting that I could just get it from the card. Mm-hmm. And so that, and that's one of the, one of my experiences with working with you um, is that you make it practical and you make it usable. Mm-hmm. I had studied the Rider weight before um, taking your class and I had originally learned on the Thoth deck, but mm-hmm. taking Rider weight with you, it just made it so understandable, just so practical and so easy for me to read for other people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I have experienced uh, actually every, all the information that I've learned from you, um, some of the things that I'll go into, but even just like a daily practice, even doing the LBRP, like these are things that I had learned and just had knowledge and it was like up on my shelf over here, mm-hmm. but you are a working magician. You are like, you practice daily, you teach people how to make how it's easy and mm-hmm. how it's digestible and how they can actually use it to, mm-hmm create change in their life well I think that one of the biggest one of the most important things for being a magical practitioner and however you apply it if you are doing it in a more formal way and you're doing ceremony you're doing ritual you're doing tarot readings whatever it might be or if you're just doing it in a more sort of a daily personal way in terms of doing affirmations or doing manifesting work that the, one of the biggest keys to that is having faith and trust in yourself and um, belief in magic and all of those things together add to a certain amount of confidence that I think is necessary to have effective work. If you are operating in a lot of self-doubt and a lot of skepticism and a lot of sort of one foot in one foot out it's really really hard to have the really fruitful manifestation and the really fruitful outcomes and I'm not talking about being like overly so sure of yourself to the point of being egoic and even some of the some of the sort of teachings of like oh just say everything as if it's already happening like the um Uh, law of attraction kind of stuff like I get it but I also feel like there's a little bit of a 
I mean, it, it would be, it's hard for me to just have like total confidence in stating something exists that doesn't already exist. But I feel so many people show up to my classes when they're at a place where they might, especially like yourself, already have a, a lot of tools, but there's like that lack of the full self-confidence, the full trust to go, I I really know what I'm doing and I really know how to apply it to trust my intuition to be able to um, really, really believe in myself that I can make this happen. And that's that like, that's that crucial component. If there's, if there's anything that I want my students to walk away with, it's not even so much to have like um, a list of symbols memorized, you know, or like a specific prayer, have all the words perfect, but to have that sense of, I know what I'm doing and I feel grounded in the work. And I feel like I, with that, it's like, that's what I think it's, it's all that core stuff. It's that tifera, you know, the, that um, inner fire, that's, what's going to help you to, to make things actually real to create your magic. Don't you think, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing to be able to teach, but I also think that it's something that comes from, um, you know, just sharing my own experience and hopefully, uh, like passing that along in some kind of way, symbiosis, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, well, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us. Um, oh my goodness! So probably it has so many dark, winding <laughs> hallways. <laughs> we didn't know where to begin. Well, where did when did you first find tarot? So tarot started when I was in high school, and I was down. Speaking of dark, winding, winding high hallways, um, I was one of my favorite things to do was to go into the city because I grew up in the suburbs. And this was Seattle in the late 80s. And so to go across the water, you know, Seattle's kind of, it's got um, like Washington on one side and then the Puget Sound on the other mm -hmm. side. And so to go from the suburbs to the city, you have to go over a bridge. And so driving across the bridge, however that was, was always like some kind of like, I mean, it makes me think it's so, so silly, but, and they do call um, Seattle the Emerald City, but like when, um, when Dorothy goes to Oz and everything goes from black and white to color, mm -hmm. that was like my <laughs> feeling every time I would go into the city and be like, wow, this is what real life is like, you know, like so much more exciting than the blandness of suburbia. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so downtown on the waterfront there's the pike place market and there was all kinds of weird there's like ye old curiosity shop was down there there's an apothecary called tinsing momo that has like mm -hmm. amazing herbs you, you know it yeah. right still there still definitely recommend if you want to look at their website they have all kinds of awesome potions oils herbs all sorts of things and there's a magic store there as a it's um a magic like um, sleight of hand magic, press the digitation. Mm -hmm. And they had um, like, oh, you could buy magic tricks. You could buy like huge posters of magicians in turbans and things like that. And they had like a little bit of a, 
like magical museum. And it was there that I bought my first tarot deck. And I've tried to remember what the, what the um, recognition of it was, but I just did not, I, I can't remember knowing about tarot till I saw it. There's, I, there's no memory that I have of finding out about tarot till the minute I was looking at it through the glass of the cabinet, of the display cabinet. And it was just like, I, I know this, like I have to, <laughs> I have to have this. So I started out totally like you said, um, with the book where my readings would be draw cards and then, and it was like a rider weight knockoff deck that had little meanings of the cards printed on it. And then I also bought a book by, I want to say it's Eileen Connolly. She has, she made a deck that's still pretty popular. I'm pretty sure that she was the author and it was, um, it was a, actually, it was a really good um, kind of starter like tarot book because I think that it was it was like good for beginners, but it was also real. Looking back at it, it wasn't kind of just like a fluffy, totally for beginners kind of book. And so I'd do the same thing. I'd pull cards and I would just read what the book said, basically, and um, and kind of try to fit it together. And that's what I did with... Um, with it for many years. Your kitties are so cute. Oh my gosh, look at them. <laughs> I love that I'm getting a chance to see them now and they're full grown or almost full grown. They're such magical yeah, companions. Yeah, a little bit over a year. Wow. Yeah. So um, tarot was, it's really funny to me because I realized, like I never associated my love for tarot, which I was so obsessed with all of the symbols and all, and I would just, I, I loved the sun card, the face on the, the eyes and the face on the sun of the Rider Waite Smith deck. There was something about it that just like, mm. it was like my favorite image. And um, I love that a Leo card anyway. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess it is very Leo. But just like the stylization of Pixie's drawings, I just, I really, really loved. And then I think that even some of the darker imagery, I remember Six of Swords has always been a card that I was really drawn to. And I think that it kind of reflected some of my high school angstiness, you know, and that it wasn't something that was just all bright and beautiful there was like a dark side to it which you know growing up in that time in Seattle is very much the time of like the grunge movement and a lot of really kind of darker influenced alternative culture the goth scene was really huge in Seattle at the time I wasn't really I wasn't a goth but you couldn't help but be kind of influenced by you know everybody that wears black all the time mm -hmm. and just has that kind of um that kind of demeanor, you know, and, um, and so what I, what I also felt was that, um, I never put it together with the idea of like going to get a reading from someone else. Like I, I felt like the tarot was personal for me. I never thought about like going to a reader. Like it didn't even cross my mind. So, I, I don't know. I, I look back and I think that's weird. And I'm wondering, 
like I can fill in some more of the blanks of how I got from then to now, but when you when you got into tarot, had you ever had a reading or what when when did you go from starting with the tarot to having your first reading? My experience was having a reading from my cousin yeah. in the house that I was living that I was living at in um in the West Hollywood area. And I was going through the most traumatic time in my life that mm-hmm. I had ever gone through. And um and I it's so funny all that I believe in and all that I'm into now because I was really not into any of it when I was younger and I was like, I don't believe any of that. Like I just kind of even had like attitude about it. Yeah. And then um and then I started getting astrology was kind of the breaker for me. So mm. it just got me some silly like uh sexual astrology book and I was like sitting at my desk oh silly everyone knows the sexual astrology book come on are you talking about (laughs) the one that's like white and red or no I think it's pink and white so it might who knows it might have been like I just feel like that's actually a really like a bestseller (laughs) well I I understand why it's like so and uh it started to open my mind to different ways of thinking Mm -hmm. that you know just I'm a Scorpio and Scorpios can think that like everybody thinks about things in the exact same way that they do. And so they're very, you know, their opinions of everything are also based on like their own viewpoint and what's important to them and what's right and wrong to them. And so reading, it was about my sister actually, because my sister's a cancer. And so I was always so frustrated at her behavior. And then I'm just, after I'm getting done My reading, sister's a cancer too. Oh, I can feel you on all of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so where it's like, it's so our relationship is so beautiful now, but when, when I was younger, um, it, you know, siblings just, they are frustrating the way that they do things and the way that they don't do things. And um, after I got done reading, you know, about everybody that I was sexually interested in, then I was just kind of reading all the other signs and all my family members and all of that. And so um, it just, it really started to open my mind to different ways of thinking. And not everybody thinks the same way that I do. And Oh, you mean like looking at the different signs having kind of different... Yeah, that like this you. decision that she's making means this to her. It uh-huh. doesn't mean what it means to me. Yeah. It means something totally different to her. And that was really helpful for my relationship with her. So I believe that th- then I got obsessed with astrology. And mm-hmm. I think that I was uh, some sort of astrologer in my past life because I have only really read a couple astrology books. And then the rest of it is just like, it just comes to me. I just know it. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about all of that. And it was actually the same cousin that had bought me that sexual astrology book so Mm -hmm. uh, my brother had broke his neck and this was this is something that I talk about but it was just like a huge it was just a huge event in my life and it broke me emotionally and it just changed the way that I looked at things so anyway my cousin was in this house with me and she's like let's do a reading and so same like before that I don't think I even really knew anything about cards and I had always been very skeptical to like some woman coming up to me being like I can see that something's gonna happen to you and yeah I'd just be like get oh, away wait. from me I don't want to hear any of that yeah stuff. yeah yeah me too I mean I'm still that way <laughs> <laughs> um so we were reading the cards and mm-hmm. they were very interesting we were reading the Alistair Crowley deck and it was the tower uh-huh. She pulled the tower, I'm giving me chills right now, to yeah. explain what was going on in my life at that time. And it, 
it was so profound and it was so correct and it was so heavy and deep and it was just it washed over me and it was just like whoa Mm -hmm. and I still remember I have always like remembered that and it just it just spoke truth to me that I it's like I just instantly knew what that was and Mm -hmm. I started learning and I started reading so I didn't ever go get any a reading from anyone for maybe years later it was it was a few years later but till I found my first teacher mm-hmm. and he um I had met him at a restaurant that I was working at and he it was my Saturn return coming up and he was like well why don't you come over and we'll do crystal healing and I'll do reading for your Saturn return mm-hmm. and it was uh, the same deck of cards and mm-hmm. so the that was deck. yeah mm-hmm. and so then that that was my beginning. So I kind of went right into study mm-hmm. and right into experiencing it. And yes, my cousin and I were re- doing readings for each other, mm-hmm. but you know, when you're doing it with your friends, it actually feels very different than going to a place right. and saying, I want to get a reading yeah. um, from somebody that I don't know. And, and also to pay for it. It just, mm-hmm. um, so it was, it was way later. It's so interesting what you said about drawing the tarot or drawing the tower at that time in your life and what had happened to your brother and you know just as I was saying how the tarot will just like be that raw truth and that mirror and not necessarily tell you oh these are all of these like warm happy feelings but this is really a reflection and sometimes it's just there's actually comfort to be had in the in the ability to look at those things and say yes this is this is my reality right now and it's okay to open that discussion and to recognize it and to work through it and not to just pretend put on a smile and pretend that things are all fine when they're not so yeah wow and um, it's funny, too, that you said you met your first teacher at your Saturn return, because that was the same as me mm. when I went through my Saturn return. And I, I would say I had I'd never stepped away from tarot, but it had become much more of a talismanic thing for me than a reading thing. So I had started, as soon as I turned 18, I started getting tattooed, and my first tattoo was the Wheel of Fortune. Mm. Um, and then... When I um, got my second tarot tattoo, let me think. Well, maybe I had already, I think my second one might have been The Hanged Man. And so I'd gotten them on my back, on the left and right side of my back. And when I was going through my Saturn return, that's when I met my teachers that started teaching me the tree of life Mm -hmm. and Kabbalah and how all of the, how everything lined up on that. And then I'm going to show you this was something like really interesting to me. So, you know, that we, when you project the tree of life over your body, you back into the tree, right? And where on my body, the two cards are the wheel of fortune and the hanged man were exactly in the spot where I had gotten them tattooed on my body already. And so that's when I started to get the other cards and to fill it in. So I got the fool and the magician up on my left and and, um, 
right upper back and then I got the Hierophant up above my Wheel of Fortune. So I started to, to really, uh, my connection with the tarot was much more in this like, I am putting these powerful symbols on my body. I just totally think of every single one of my tattoos as like an expression of my magical powers, which I actually feel like I got from like being a kid playing video games. Like, you know what I mean? And I mean, like, this is, this is like how I'm going to wear my armor, my power. So, um, I play video games too. Right. Right. Totally. I mean, hello, Legend of Zelda. Zelda. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and so I really saw, I, that was like more so than like sitting and doing readings. It was like connecting with the symbols and that kind of, and sort of in a more art, like a connecting to the art kind of way. Mm -hmm. And then with my teachers, um, that I met right around the time of my Saturn return when I was going definitely, through it and kind of down a downward spiral of toxicity and just really, really, um, um, no direction. You know, I was bartending at the time. I actually wasn't even bartending at my Saturn return that year. I was DJing. I was working as a digital hardcore DJ. I mean, I say working quote unquote, I was being paid to party is what it was. And, um, I always had the attitude of, doing my own thing in the way that was like trying to kind of break the, some of the, um, rules. Well, yeah, that, but, <laughs> but, um, trying to break some of the stereotypes of women in that, at that time, because, uh, there wasn't a lot of female DJs mm-hmm. probably to this day. I mean, it's definitely a more of a male dominated thing. Um, but back when people still played records and that's what DJing was, there was, you know, very few, um, women. And so to play music that was really hard and dark and, and, um, not necessarily feminine was, um, where I was spending a lot of my time, but put that together with, all of the other things that go hand in hand with nightlife and drinking and drugs and, you know, just like running the streets as my mom would say. <laughs> and, and the other thing actually that my parents used to say is you can't, you're not going to be able to DJ when you're 40 or 50. Well, you know, little did they know I could have kept going on that path. And I did actually continue to do that until just maybe like five years ago when I finally retired from that. But um, meeting my teachers who I wasn't necessarily looking for, but who uh, my friend that I was staying with at the time said, no, you're going to come meet these guys. And I, now I consider that they saved my life because they really opened my eyes to what my true path is, which you were talking about um, uh, being able to, to, how did you phrase it? Sacred purpose. Your sacred purpose. And I think that they completely opened my eyes to that, that I didn't, that I didn't realize at all. They showed me that there was, um, you know, that there was so much more meaning behind the things that I was interested in. And, that at the end of the day, what it was about was con- uh, connecting to that that higher aspect of the self, 
which I also found myself very, very interested in, you know, what, what lies at the source of things, where, where all of the existential kind of questions, you know, where do we come from? What is God? Um, What is, who is the creator? All of those things. And just sort of find that the things I was into the tarot and also astrology, although I don't think to the level that you were um, and, absolutely uh this idea of talismanic magic i just didn't know it that uh that all of that can help to lead you to that place to that to that source which of course they also taught me was ultimately unknowable and just infinite and i was okay with it being that you know so yeah, that's that's how it all unfolded. And then coming to Los Angeles just gave me the opportunity to share it externally because it was such a private thing for so long. But in LA, um, people are much more open and much more, I think just much more outwardly spiritual. And, um, and so it was just kind of like the perfect storm between House of Intuition opening, me being here, the city itself being very magical, that it was time to then shift it into something that I would never have expected, which was my actual career. <laughs> it makes sense that it would come out, that you would come out into the light, like the sun card when you uh-huh. got to L.A., because L.A. is a Leo city. I guess so, huh? I never really thought of that. And I think that Seattle is a Scorpio city, which is like uh-huh. hidden and secret and which makes the total depths sense. of things. And yeah. everything's dark and the water and everything like that. And you come here, mm-hmm. it's hot, it's the sun, and everybody's out in the open here. So. so my rising sign is Scorpio. And don't they usually say that... I've always understood that your rising sign is more what you grow into or more sort of your longer term i think what i think what they say that you grow into is your moon sign oh really um what your sun sign and your rising sign make up your personality Mm -hmm. so how you get your rising is like the moment that you're born Mm -hmm. that sign is rising Mm -hmm. and so the sun is shining through that sign when you're born so everyone is being affected by that energy when you're born. It's your first moments of learning how to communicate and perceive. I always thought that my Scorpio rising was where I get all my witchiness from. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Scorpio anywhere. Leo is where I get my teacher side from. Yeah. But Scorpio is definitely where I get my occult. Yeah. Leo loves the stones also, Mm -hmm. all the Leos that I know. So my first teacher was a Leo also, and Mm. he was also the first one to teach me about crystals. Mm -hmm. And he had these giant crystal balls, and he would do Mm -hmm. crystal ball meditations, Mm -hmm. and he would hold it over my third eye. Wow. And he would chant until the ball got full of energy and super hot, and he'd have another one. I mean, he was a true Leo with his entire room with complete crystals mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. um so I was wow. gonna ask you just about having teachers you know in this mm-hmm. this age that we're in and it's this 
the Great Awakening, and everybody is also uh, awakening to their past lives and things mm-hmm. that they know. And it's also this age of Aquarius. And so it's just like the information is accessible. It's in the ethers, it's on mm-hmm. the internet. And so it's great. There is all this information that's out there. We're not living in the times anymore where, you know, you have to study for this many years in silence and not, not ask any questions. Right, before totally. You any information. I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday and the sense that so much of the stuff that I'm into, which comes from along the lines of hermeticism and through the Rosicrucian secret societies and through the uh, the Golden Dawn lineages, which were very much these secret magical fraternities, if you will, even though women were allowed. But uh, everything had grades, everything had orders. You had to pass through certain levels to get to the next level. And in this day and age, and I, I really do think that it's the Aquarian influence that to what you're saying makes it not necessary to have to follow this specific diagram and go through step by step by step. You know, Andrew Martin, who is also a really amazing teacher in his own right, talks a lot about the idea of the um, collapsing structures and um, collapsing frameworks and the sense that, yes, at one time to have these very specific frameworks was absolutely necessary. But in this day and age, it's largely due to the fact, like you're saying, that all of this information is accessible. You can get, I I think about um, the Golden Dawn in the early 1900s sitting, or even in the late 1800s, sitting in the British Library, combing through all of these books, translating books from, from one language to another, and having to dig and delve and find these things. And now how we can just do the same amount of work that they probably would have done, would have taken years to do in, in a matter of minutes and to have that accessibility. And I just think that it really has opened things up for people to be able to um, explore and, and um, assimilate things so much faster. And so I think that there's a good and a bad. The, the, the one thing that I see that is important is even in the light of not having necessarily the need for all of the secrecy and the need for all of the um, levels and hierarchy and structure, which still absolutely exists, but... Um, But with that, there does need to be some kind of a sense of acknowledging the traditions and recognizing lineages Mm -hmm. and not just being all over the place. You know, something Dion Fortune says in the beginning of Mystical Kabbalah that if you, and I remember reading this at first and being very like, hey, wait a second, whoa, 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 I'm not jiving with this. There's something that she says about the student that flits from system to system and and um, is basically like, oh, I'm going to do some of this, and then I'm going to try out that, I'm going to go to this teacher, and sort of bounces around, will never be anything more than a dabbler. And I remember thinking at the time, like, wait a minute, I like, you know, I'll go to, I 
one of the things I really enjoyed doing when I was in Seattle was doing Native American sweat lodges and exploring that aspect and then taking yoga and taking classes from different teachers, taking um, shamanic training and things that were outside of my main path of hermetic Kabbalah and and then understanding that what she really meant by that was that if you're going to have a practice, it's fine to explore other things, but do one thing deeply instead of a lot of things surface. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so rather than having, you know, 10 different teachers that can sort of teach you the basics, have maybe have a few different teachers, but find one teacher that can take you all the way in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like somebody that's really advanced that can really get you beyond the basics. And, um, and that's what I found to be the most important. And of all of the, of all of the teachers that I've had, it's been many, I've had my crystal teachers, as I said, you know, my, my shamanic teachers, but it is the ones that led me on the path of Hermetic Kabbalah that I consider my master teachers. So everybody else kind of helped me to understand and helped me to supplement that. But I think that's what's really important. And I think that there's a lot of teachers out there who can teach you the basics and very few that are true masters. I agree with that. You know? Mm-hmm. But I have found working with teachers to be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of this kind of attitude all over in in magic in coaching, and people are like, "Well, I don't need I don't need a teacher." Mm. And mm-hmm. of course, like you don't need mm. to have a teacher. Mm-hmm. But there is so much. Uh, information out there that contradicts each other mm-hmm. and there's also because of the age that we're living in there's so many people that are writing books mm-hmm. that are not master teachers mm-hmm. and maybe they have not even worked with a master teacher themselves mm-hmm. and so there's just all of the plus all of the misinformation that was written back in the day to misguide mm-hmm. people that didn't really know what they were studying and um you know I've heard that Crowley did a lot of that kind of thing so I feel like it's super important to have teachers. And whereas where I was saying a few years ago, I was just kind of looking for class, like to be inspired. Mm-hmm. As soon as I find someone that I'm like, okay, hey, they know, and they know way more about me about the subject than I do. Um, why would I let like some ego about like, I don't need a teacher to be getting in my way. Well, I think that they're kind of like I was saying about the symbiosis thing. I think that there is, definitely something that is transferred in person that especially if you're studying anything metaphysical anything beyond the physical there are there are things that are going to be uh, transferred from a teacher to a student that you just can't get from a book that you can't get from studying something online and it is while it might not be something that is um specifically tangible it's still visceral so you might not be able to see it but you can feel it you know what I mean and I think that part of the awakening of 
ancestral memories and past life memories and the recalling, like you said, of your of your definitely of the, your astrological knowledge that you have from your prior incarnations is something that in person, face to face experience. And I think it's also it's not just yes, I think there there's the value of the one on one um, from teacher to student, but also from student to student you know, being part of a group. And I think that that was some of the magic that we really saw with your magical group. And mm-hmm. at the time that you came, at the time that you came in, there was just a really, and I say this always in the class, each person present is a part of what is creating the circle of what's creating the energy and everybody is a crucial part of that. And there was a bunch of you, I don't know how, at least I would say, um, eight or ten of you guys that really just sort of came together. I mean, like now I'm having chills. this vision. I have the chills too of like all of you standing at Stonehenge mm-hmm. together. We want to? <laughs> we're trying to plan it. I mean, you have, yeah. No, you did. You were there. Like I totally see it, and it's like that convergence coming together assists all of you to really remember and to awaken and. Uh, it's just very, very cool to see what happens when it's like, look at all these, look at all these magicians come together and form or reform the bonds that you guys did. So that was such an incredible experience. I was actually speaking to one of the sisters about it last night mm-hmm. and and we're all always reflecting on that. And it was so that was the first time that I'd ever had that experience. I've been in classes before, mm-hmm. um, but it was just people having a very similar understanding and having done so much study mm-hmm. previous to that, that really like we were ready for what you were giving us. Mm-hmm. I remember being in some of those classes, just being like, I've learned this stuff before a few times, but this is the first time that like <laughs> I am really learning this and I can't even imagine how I would have processed it, like, had I not done all the study previous, and I'm like, how's everybody else getting this in the group, and mm-hmm. we, um, it was, it was, it was really, it was really beautiful, and another big part of all of us coming together, you know, we all are very different, and we have very different messages, and we work our magic in different ways, mm-hmm. and all of us have Um, many of us in the group have started our own businesses, Mm -hmm. have been very inspired by the work that you have done and allowing and having your magical practice like be at the center of your life and your offerings. Mm -hmm. And it was very inspiring to all of us. And we've been such a support system for each other, getting our businesses going. Mm -hmm. And so it served, uh, it served all of us in the, in more than one way. It was, yeah, we're all very grateful. Oh my goodness, love. Oh. Um, we all love each other, and yeah, what a powerful experience. Totally. Yeah, I think so too. And I think back to you know my group of where when I was working with my teachers, and I've shared that with you that there was five of us that were the students, and then two that were the teachers, and it's just really powerful to see how you know every person was a crucial part of that, like holding things down when you're calling on, when you're doing ritual together and you're bringing through something really powerful, you need to have that group to be able to ground 
those energies. And I believe that together that really does open up a really beautiful portal, if you will, to a magical current. And along with that, I think something that's maybe a little bit necessary in this day and age is recognizing that kind of crossing over and it's like coming out of the secrecy, but also coming out of the sense of all of the like warnings and uh, be really careful about what you do and be careful what you contact, be careful what you open up. Yeah. I think that it's, I think that it's um, important for people to have knowledge and to do magic responsibly. But I also think that a lot of that was exaggerated in order to make things kind of more mysterious or more dark or more unnecessarily kind of like creepy than they really are and to turn some people away from it and that to me is not what magic is about at all you know it's not about worrying about contacting some kind of dark force and bringing it through and I think, and we've talked about this a lot in class, the subtle realms and the astral realm and all of the higher planes, it's just like, it's just like this plane. There's dark things and light things. And if you attract and, and dabble with and work with things that are dark in the physical realm, it's going to look the same in the, in the astral realm. But if you really are grounded in the light and trying to make a positive difference and center heart centered, centered in love and sisterhood and all of those things, then those are the kind of energies that you're going to bring through and, um, and have find allies with on the subtle plane. Right. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Okay. So will you have, um, will you tell us about your magical school? Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because I think about this. Um, sometimes things just kind of create themselves. Like when I used to mm-hmm. be a DJ, I, you know, which I did for 20 years. And a lot of that was me very um, adamantly not having a DJ crew, which was kind of a thing at the time, you know, like you didn't do it as just a solo person, you had your crew. And there was definitely times when I had other people that I played music with and that I threw parties with. And so over the years that, that did happen, but especially in the later years, uh, I was, I was just kind of like a, a lone wolf, but I had my, uh, fan base uh, as a, you know as a DJ as an entertainer and it, and they were called the Naha Army. Oh, cool! And so, <laughs> and so that's something that just came. And it was kind of like a little bit of a joke of, from like the Kiss Army. And so we did like the um, like the Naha Army logo, like ripped off the Kiss Army logo and printed it on merch and all kinds of stuff. And um, And it's funny because that kind of like Naha Army thing just came out of, you know, I never sat down and was like, I'm going to assemble an army. (laughs) Like it just sort of happened and then switched to today and what I'm doing with the teachings and what started off as just, you know, I'm going to teach this workshop and then I'm going to add, well, I can't just end with that eight week workshop. We're going to roll it into another one. And then as you mentioned, the crystal grids 
And so as all of these things started coming together, it was turning into a full curriculum that just started as, I think the first thing that I taught was middle pillar and it was just Mm -hmm. doing that ritual. I didn't start doing it as a monthly ritual. And then that turned into teaching the tarot as a, as a one day event and then that turned into a three day and then it turned on to a six a week one day. <laughs> and then it turned into an eight week and now this fall I'm or this uh upcoming win- um new year actually I'm expanding even further it's gonna be nine weeks <laughs> I have to add another week for all the new information so um when it started really becoming clear that this is not just workshops this is a full magical curriculum is when it really became established as this is a school with uh, much more of a sense of um, something that ties all of these things together. So that became the 22 Teachings School of Hermetic Science and Magical Arts. So really honoring my lineage of Hermetic Kabbalah, but then also putting that together with practical things as well, practical magic, which I see in the crystal grids. Mm-hmm. So all of the tarot and the middle pillar and the path working and all of the Kabbalistic ritual was not a vein that necessarily ever really crossed with the world of crystal healing. There's been a couple of people over, over time that did merge those things together. Um, Vogel was one who makes the, um, was Vogel was actually like a, I want to say he was like an IBM computer, uh, like brainiac. That's why he would know about the crystals. Yeah. And he had access to, to laboratory equipment that he could test quartz crystals. And he came up with this idea of, cutting quartz into with a certain amount of sides to create different frequencies. And he actually used the tree of life as a model to cut, um, to cut crystals. And then he was able to do experiments on them to prove that they had certain qualities or certain vibrations and certain things that they could do. And of course, a lot of his contemporaries and a lot of his peers thought he was nuts and uh, it's just really sad because he's actually like this total genius. But it's been very few people that have kind of merged these two ideas of crystal healing along with working with the Tree of Life and working with Kabbalah. So that's one of my goals with 22 Teachings is to show that these things, of course, if, if Kabbalah is a syncretic system that you can place anything over, if you can place any pantheon, any tradition, any, any kind of, um, you know, any of the hermetic sciences and, and find a way to fit it into the map, then you have to be able to do that with crystal healing as well. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, being able to also tie in that aspect it's kind of funny because um, in the older uh, magical grimoires and in the Kabbalistic texts, they do assign certain crystals to uh, the different cards, the different paths of the tree. But it's just funny how much more we know about crystals now than some magician a hundred years ago would have known or 500 years ago and how many more crystals are available to work with and 
I mean, that's exploded in the last couple of years. Yeah. I remember going to the gem shows even five years ago, and it was 90% um, like rock hounds, mineral collectors, uh, people doing lapidary, people cutting stones for jewelry, old like weather beaten guys that dug crystals on their own and then like um, shared those with other kinds of old weather beaten guys. <laughs> and now going in the last couple of years, it's shifted from 90% that to 10% people who actually um, use crystals for their metaphysical properties to, I would say almost like 50, 50. It's crazy. Mm. Like there, there was nobody was catering to the metaphysical realm, even just like I said, like not that long ago, there was a very few people, but it was like very much on the fringe. Now all of those old, um, the crystal vendors and the crystal companies that were at one time selling stones to jewelry makers, gem collectors, people who wanted, let's say like a slab of quartz to create a countertop out of they've totally shifted their businesses and now they're completely catering to people who want to use crystals for healing purposes, recognize their, their powers and are using them in like a totally different way. So the whole industry has changed. Yeah. Well, and then also it's, it's so trendy, but it's like, I remember when yoga was becoming really trendy and some people would kind of comment about it. And I'm like, I guess so. There are, even if the person is just going for the workout and just going for, because it's a trend, the effects that they will experience in their life from doing that type of work and breathing Mm -hmm. will be profound and they will affect the person and it will affect the community. And it's the same with the crystals. A lot of people like, well, I don't really care about what it believes in. I'm just wearing it anyway. Right. There are some people out there. Um, There's still, you know, let's share what we have because I'm seeing what you have. I have something in my pocket that I grabbed that I'll show. So this is a rose quartz and this is a ruby. That ruby is crazy. That's so gorgeous. I know I love it. My my first teacher, his name is Brian the Leo. He gave this. He was it was his, of course. So he had this, mm. and then he had two of these. This is the amethyst, mm-hmm. and it was this huge necklace. And he's a big man, and I'm like, okay, I can't wear it all like that, so I'll just take it down. But there's some crystals in here, mm. and I didn't know what kind they were. I almost they're very like diamond looking. Mm-hmm. There was another one up here that was the same as that that fell out. I don't know, but they're so sparkly. Yeah. And just naturally. Wow. Yeah. This, that's way cool. It's a very, it. very elven piece. It's interesting, like. the combination of rose quartz and ruby, because they're both heart, but they yeah. are also kind of like the two pillars in a way, because rose quartz is so sweet and compassionate, and ruby so strong. Mm. Ruby is like powerful and you know has a little bit of that mars gabura fire quality too so it's like the it's almost like very like sweet gentle love and then like fierce passionate love combined into one 
Sounds great. What do you got? What have you got? Well, let's, I didn't even think about what I'm wearing. I have my green calcite on, which I'm just such a fan of all calcite. I just think that it's probably one of the most healing of stones, just Mm -hmm. in terms of like physical body stuff. I have Herkimer diamonds on, but this is my latest thing, you know, working at a place that sells crystals I've had to show great composure (laughs) because it it just, for so many years, I couldn't even spend, I couldn't even walk in without going like, oh, I need this, I need that. And I'm at the point where I'm at like crystal overload. Yeah, you got to be at full capacity. I am beyond full capacity. (laughs) But then the other day I saw this sitting on the counter and I'm always sticking my nose into what people are buying. So anybody that has their stuff set on the counter, I'm like, oh, what are you getting? Oh, you're getting this? You're getting this candle? And so this was sitting up there. It's a Fodden Quartz, like a twin Fodden, which is already like Fodden Quartz is something that I'm really, really connected to. They're total bridge builders. They're really, really good for popping over, popping open blockages. Are they always the um, double? Is that what that is? They're not always the double, but they have this little, this, the, the word Faden means fiber in German, and it looks like a little piece of yarn that runs through it. And it's actually where little kind of air bubbles get in, and then the stones grow from that. So they grow in both directions, and they grow as tabbies. So they're they're wider than they are thick. And so just as the fact that it's double terminated twin, and it's also like got all kinds of little Lemurian etches on it. And I was like, who is getting this? And the girl behind the counter says. Oh, nobody. That's just sitting there because we pulled it out because we just thought it was cool. And I was like, you literally put this here so that I would see you. (laughs) So um, I will say Naha's a little bit of an expert on the crystals. (laughs) And she even has written a crystal book. My brand new book. It's not out yet, but guess who's getting a copy today? This is really. I just got these a couple days ago, so they were mailed to me. I saw you posting about them. Okay, so this is Everyday Crystal Rituals, Mm -hmm. Healing Practices for Love, Wealth, Career, and Home. Yeah. And there's a hundred crystal profiles. Yeah. Naha Armadi. They're the crystals that are in here, these are mine. These are my collection. So you might, I don't know that you would recognize any of these, but maybe from the crystal grids. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that some of these you've seen before. So it was so funny when I was getting, when I was having the photos taken. So it was not an original part of the deal to have my crystals actually photographed for this. So when the publisher reached out to me, they said, we want to do a book on crystal healing, on on rituals specifically, and we want to know if you'd like to write it. And they said, this well, they prefaced it with, this is probably going to sound crazy because we they contacted me out of the blue. I still never asked them how they found me. I'm assuming it might have been through my YouTube channel or Instagram or somehow. They didn't contact me through the house. They just like randomly emailed me. And they said, yeah, we, we are looking for an expert on crystals to write this book that we want to put out. And I was like, this isn't weird at all. 
I think, you know, like how you, how many times have you heard me say in class that I wanted to write books? Well, and how many of us are like, no, how, when are you going to write a book? All the time, right? So, so thank you for collectively funny. holding that intention for me. So I told them, I was like, this isn't weird at all. I think that it was, you know, know I was calling the call out. <laughs> and so it was their, their idea to do, um, the 20 rituals for love, 24 career and wealth and 24 creating sacred space around the home. And they said, then we want you to take your 100 most favorite crystals and, um, and write what you think their purposes are and, and how they can be useful and how you use them. And I was like, great, this book is already written. Basically, like in my mind and in the in the um in the context of the curriculum that I already had, I was like, this is gonna be easy. Now, that being said, I had to write 60 different rituals for it, which I definitely did not have. <laughs> I think that maybe, you know, maybe um I don't know six or as many maybe as 10 of those rituals you might recognize as things that we've done in class but most of them I did actually um just right from scratch and then all of the uh crystal profiles I just sat with each stone and was like all right what what is what do you want me to say and so that was something that actually went pretty quickly but um the the publishing company is based out of the Bay Area, and so they had their own um, photographers and their own um, art department that was going to do all of that part of it. And I said, why are you guys going to go source all of these stones and shoot them up in the Bay when I have the most beautiful crystal collection right here? And you're gonna, you can find a photographer in Los Angeles. And they were like... Oh my gosh, yes. So that's what they ended up doing. They oh, said, cool. we want you to pick all the stones and send them to the, um, take them to the photographer who was a woman who lived up in Pasadena who ended up being really awesome. And it was so funny because I took her like, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I haven't even unpacked the suitcases yet of all of the stones I took her. Cause I took maybe... Wow. at least three if not sometimes six different like how do I pick which <laughs> amethyst you know a raw one or a polished one or a cluster so I thought and I asked them they said well just take her everything and then the way they ended up doing it is she just picked one of each so I didn't know which one it was gonna be oh, until, you got the book. until I got the book oh. and then just to see all of my babies there though I think like that was one of the things that kind of tickled me the most about it. Cause I feel like I want people to see that's why I've done like on Instagram, you've probably seen, I'm sure I haven't done it in a while, but when I'll do like crystal of the day or, and I, I remember, yeah, you know, I've done that for like 30 days at a time, a few different times over and just to kind of feature them. And I oh, actually, you love them. I do love them. And I feel also like, Crystals are something that even though obviously you can feel their vibration and their power when you're working with them, when you're holding them, I also think that it does translate through a photo. Mm. I know that when I am looking at a gorgeous photo of a crystal, like I can feel it. I can feel its power. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. 
I think something does come through there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You already know how to connect with the stone. You're connecting with the the energy of that. Yeah, of that crystal. Anyway, beforehand. so so this I was I've been reading um, on Amazon because yeah. you can you know it's, I can't have it yet. Well, now I have it. Yeah. Um, but so I've been reading on there and really just this is it's incredible. Like it's packed with information, just like your classes. And so I'm really honored to Yay. have this. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, you're so, so welcome. Yeah, and it's going to be shipped out as well it's ready to go so um, I'm like ready to send this to everybody that I know for holiday gifts and I'm like oh this is what you're getting what's crazy is they originally contacted me I want to say it was maybe just like the spring I believe it and it's already here It, it happened so fast and you know what it is and I and I think for any of your listeners who are trying to manifest something, whether it is writing a book or whatever project you're trying to bring to life. The key for me was having real deadlines Mm -hmm. because the reason why I'd never done it is because I was always going, well, I'll write a book when I, you know, I'm going to have to like take some time off work or when I can set some time aside or when I can find something in my schedule or you know, I'll do it next year. There was always like a, it will happen, but there was never a definite, well, I'm going to sit down and make sure that by May 1st, I have the first chapter done. And that's what the publisher provided. They gave me the mm-hmm. deadline. So they were like, by this date, you need to have the, f-. they actually had me write it out of order. They had me do the love rituals first, start it with that and then go back and do all of the intro stuff about how to work with stones and and kind of how they work and then do the um, wealth rituals and then do the house rituals. Interesting. Yeah. And so they gave me, we need this by this date and this, and they didn't not give me a lot of time. And I didn't take, you know, I didn't not work my job during that time. I just didn't, I stayed up all night, basically, and just having somebody to, to be accountable to. And, you know, there was definitely a few deadlines that I had to ask for more time, but to be able to have that, even if you're doing something on your own and you don't have somebody else setting the deadline for you, just to really be able to define that for yourself and then stick to it. You know what I mean? Like that's, we can, there's always a tomorrow. There's always a later and a next year, but at some point you just got to bite the bullet and do it. Right. And it's true. Well, you're creating your future. You're already mm-hmm. setting the date of manifestation in your future and that's magical work in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really believe in that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm experiencing a lot of those things in my life right now. So, um, thank you so much for coming here and sharing with us. So please tell all of us how we can find you. And, um, I will put that information in the show notes as well, but just, Oh yeah. The best way is just to go to 22 teachings.com. That's the website for the school, but also the portal to get to everything else. So you can find my Instagram, Naha99, or my my uh, YouTube channel, all my classes. They're all on the website. And I have tons of resources on there, too. My recommended reading lists and um, tons of articles. And I'll put this podcast up on my website as well. So 22teachings.com is the best place to start to find all of the things. <laughs> 
So awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. So awesome. And thank you. And I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you. If you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to the podcast. This is something that I produce on my own. So if you'd like to donate, you can go to Patreon forward slash Jamie Black. And I will see you all in the next episode.